three-game winning streak continued this past weekend, and it did so with another comeback victory that included yet another Leonardo Campana goal. Hello, everybody. You are listening to Miami Total Football Radio, a.k.a. Miami Total Football Radio, the number one podcast on all things Inter-Miami, providing you with the latest news, updates, inside information, analysis, opinions, and more. You have heard the voices of all three co-hosts of this lovely podcast. Everybody is in the house and present and in attendance today. My name is Franco Panizo. I am one of those three co-hosts. The other two are Steve El Primo Brenner and Jose Cinco Armando. We are going to start with Jose. How are you, my friend? And where the heck were you last week? Because a lot of people were wondering if you were... Drowning yourself in tears after Miami FC suffered that 1-0 loss to Inter-Miami in the U.S. Open Cup in what we might be soon be calling the Jose Armando Derby. Oh, well, that'd be nice. That'd be nice. <laughs> um, uh, well, I was working, but, you know, I'm happy to be back. Um, I was happy with the Miami Classico the day of the draw. So anything that happened after that, it was a bonus for me. I think we can all agree that I was right in expecting that game. It was a beautiful atmosphere. It was just great for the South Florida football community. So I'm sure everybody enjoyed it. Uh, Inter-Miami fans just a little bit more because obviously they were able to move on. But yeah, I'm happy to be back and um, and happy that Inter-Miami is winning. Well, I don't know if I'm happy, happy, but you know, it's, it's, it's great to see happy faces around Dry Pink Stadium nowadays. So there's no truth to the rumor that you shed a tear? In the press box when you saw the full-time whistle blow? Not a tear at all. I was very <laughs> happy with the level of play of Miami FC. And um, I think everybody agreed on that. Even Inter-Miami fans, I think they agreed on that, that Miami FC played a very, very good game. So, But not, not, not a tear. Not a tear. Just happy that we have good football in South Florida. Oh, so it was just dust in, in the press box. Okay, I got you. I got you. <laughs> Steve, primo, how are you doing today? And how was your weekend? You've been updating us quite a bit on Football Manager, so I imagine you are going to drop that in. You've been doing so in the chat and in person, so I imagine you'll do so here again on the podcast. I won't bore you with the fact that I'm seven games into the second season of Dorton Dorman and actually seven unbeaten, uh, seven wins. Um, it's just I'm just continuing my football education, you know, with these fine young <laughs> players who are just growing under my tutelage. So, uh, no, it's all good. I missed the game. Um, Mrs. Primo took me away for the Mrs. for the weekend, which was which was fun. But I caught up with it um, uh, yesterday or the day before, I think, and I watched the whole match just like you, channeling my inner nerd, my inner there football we go. nerd. That's what I'm talking yeah. about. All right, all right. I was drawing lines on the TV and everything. I mean, <laughs> Uh, but and then it, well, you know we went down um, to the training ground on on Wednesday afternoon and we had some uh, some interesting chats in a very relaxed atmosphere and we watched Romeo Beckham do some like burpees which yes, was quite fun. They are burpees. They were burpees. Now, Jose, so that we can completely move on from the from the football manager talk on this week's pod. Are you out of preseason? Yes or no? I'm out of preseason. I'm done Yay. with preseason. I, I had to start the whole thing all over again. New computer. Well, not new computer, but, you know, my laptop. I'm, I'm playing on my laptop now. So, um, unfortunately, Jovin Jones is the odd man out because, you know, it, it, blame it on MLS and the rules, right? Because I signed a couple of players that maybe I should have signed later on and not during preseason. 
and that was trouble. Steve knows what I'm talking about. So amateur, yeah, amateur hours right here. Yeah, yeah, I'm done with preseasons and ready to roll. Although Jose, just quickly, Jose, I was um, I was actually laughed at by an into Miami official today for saying that just because I'd watched some content on YouTube and they they told me about this great young player. And wait, I wait, let's, let's put it out to the let's put it out to the audience, Steve. Before you, oh, very before, quick, before, don't want to bore no, everyone. No, no, but let's put it out to the audience and, and hear from them. Do you think it is cheating to play football manager and look up on YouTube or on the internet strategies and players to sign? Do you think that's cheating? Yes, yes or no? Steve, Steve says no. It's the same as like when you're watching a soccer program or something, they mentioned like a young player. Oh, am I not allowed to Google his name and then and then and then sign him? Is that it's, what you're saying? It's not the same thing at all. It is because the same there's thing no because, because you're 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 the coach in the game. So there's already a network of of ways to look up at players in the game. You are now true. going out of the game to find yeah, no, to but... find out good players and good uh good people or excuse me good players and good people in positions it's of front realistic. office to buy or, excuse it's me, to that sign. realistic you can use those you can use these tactics if i'm watching i'm watching villarreal liverpool right now if i see one like a villarreal sub and i want to try and sign him then i'll just look him up and he'll be on the game he may be good. it's he not may the be same not. thing though is, is pep guardiola able to call some someone outside of the world and say hey by the way you know you can look 10 years into the future can you sign you know is this player going to be worth signing like it's definitely Cheating, in know. my opinion. Is Pep Guardiola sitting, sitting in his front room pretending to be a football manager? I mean, I don't think he is really, is he? So, <laughs> well, he actually is anyway. a football manager, so you know that. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's, not, it's not cheating. It's by the way, by the way, Steve was struggling with Borussia Dortmund. I think he was on the hot seat. And a couple of weeks ago, I helped him out in the parking lot of Inter-Miami's training facility. I had never played the, – well, I have played the game before, but not in a long, long time. And I looked at his formation. I We, we looked at a couple of different ones. I told him which one I think he should go with. He looked at it from, uh, I don't know, one of the screens in the video game, and he was like, wow, look at all this green, because there's like lists of green boxes and red boxes of what your strengths and weaknesses are, and he had almost no red boxes, and now he's like on a good run of form. He even sent me a video yesterday of a, of a, of a Holland Golasso. So, yeah. So my tactical <laughs> expertise has clearly, clearly influenced your season for the better. It, well, it, it it's influenced the second season, the first season, the end of it. I did lose eight one to Bayern Munich, so um, you know, and then and then lost the league by I was twenty points behind them at the end. So I wouldn't I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't get too excited just now. But a decent start anyway. So my tactics can only do so much. My tactics mm. can only do so much. Anyway, okay. Well, we're here to talk about Inter Miami. They win yet again over the past weekend against Atlanta United. We will touch on that and dive into that. Of course, we're going to talk about. Leonardo Campana's continued good run of form, something that Jose said he did not expect to keep up. We will also touch on this weekend's game against the New England Revolution. We will preview that with a very good friend and an MLS analyst and commentator, David Goss. Of course, we will do the Q&A session at the very end of the show. And of course, one last thing that we will absolutely touch on is the stadium vote that may or may not happen may or may not take place on thursday afternoon or thursday evening so guys we have a lot to get to and we've wasted a good few minutes talking about football manager so let's not take up any more time and let's get to it okay guys so inter miami comes from behind to defeat atlanta united at drive pink stadium in fort lauderdale florida on sunday afternoon 
This was the starting lineup that Inter Miami went with. Inter Miami keeps posting a 4-1-4-1 graphic. You can look at it that way or you can look at it at a 4-3-3. I will continue to look at it as a as a 4-3-3, but you can look at it either way. Nick Marsman in goal, your back four from right to left. DeAndre Yedlin, Damian Lowe, Amey Mabika, and Christopher McVeigh. Gene Mota was the six, filling in for the suspended Gregory. Mo Adams came into the lineup with Robert Taylor there, just ahead of Mota, and then your front three, again from right to left, Ariel Lasseter, Leonardo Campana, and Robbie Robinson. So only one change there with Mo Adams coming in for, for the suspended Gregory. Atlanta United gets on the board early. Ronaldo Cisneros in the 13th minute, but Leonardo Campana scores a heck of a goal to equalize the game. 1-1 in the 28th minute, and then Bryce Duke off of an assist from Campana in the 64th. That is enough for Inter Miami to come out on top in a game in which it did not play that well in, but they got the result at the end of the day. Steve, I'll start with you since you've watched the game more recently. Your overall analysis and takeaway. Yeah, I mean, it was typical Inter Miami performance, wasn't it? A bit sketchy in parts, good in other parts, uh, conceded that early goal. I mean, I don't know how many times they've gone behind in, in recent matches. It seems like they're constantly going behind. But then I guess on the positive, the fact that then they're, they're able to sort of respond and, and win. It got The game got stretched very early. I know it looked really, really hot there. And there were some tired bodies after about 20 or 30 minutes. But um, job done. Great, great great goal by Campagna and pleased for Bryce Duke as well because I like the look at him he's a he's a spiky little player and um, that that would do his confidence a world of good Jose you were there in attendance next to me there in the press box what did you think of the game and what was your main analysis and takeaway um, well I, I don't think it was a good game for Inter Miami when it comes to the level of play they were fairly dominated about most of it but you know they got the two res- the two goals they got ended up with the result and sometimes that's the way to go right it doesn't really matter how uh, 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 until you get the three points and then you go from there you try to get better the next few days I think that's the plan for them I do believe you know um, they they are relying a lot on Campana right now and um, and rightfully so because you know he's he's a, he's a good player for them I uh, my takeaway would go um and I hate to do this because, you know, when you think about a takeaway, I, I like to go um, into more like a collective effort. But I think DeAndre Jetlin was so good for this team over the weekend um, that, that he was really impressive to me. So uh, that's something that caught my attention. Um, I really liked him as a, as a captain. And, and I think that I saw the same mentality um, in the last game against um, Seattle in league play, of course. Um I, I think he shows some of that leadership. He's getting comfortable, getting to know his teammates. And I think over the weekend he showed that uh, that leadership, but as well, very good, very good wing play. So um, I, I will personally give DeAndre Yedlin the, the player of the match award, but I understand the assist and the goal, you know, will we'll tilt it towards Campana. But I, I, I do, I, I want to commend uh, um, DeAndre Yedlin for a great performance over the weekend. So my main analysis would be what Steve said uh, and what you said there in that Inter Miami did not play great great soccer, not play great football. 36% possession, 7 shots, 2 on target. Atlanta had 64% possession, 20 shots, 7 on target. Nick Marsman came up with a few saves that kept Inter Miami in the game. 
And Atlanta also misfired quite a few of those throughout the course of the 90 minutes. But it has to be noted, at least from my analysis, from my viewpoint, that Phil Neville's change to the five-man back line proved huge for Inter-Miami. And it was a big reason why they won this game. Because they came out in the first seven to eight to nine minutes of the second half struggling and giving up some some pretty good chances to Atlanta United. And then once that switch to the back five came, they tightened things up at the back. And of course, obviously, they produced that that goal afterwards in the in the 64th minute. So Phil Neville pushed the right buttons there, and he managed the game very well from that aspect. And, and I think he was very key in helping them produce this victory and these three points that take Inter-Miami out of the bottom of the Eastern Conference, and they are now in ninth place. But I'm just gonna say that I, I don't agree with that. I'm just gonna say that I don't don't agree with. You, that. Well, you didn't like but, it in the stadium. You didn't like it in the stadium. No, that is a horrible decision. That is a horrible decision because you're playing at home, and then you go with a fine man backline when basically at that time in the game, all ten players except for Campana were almost inside the box. So. You know, try to get some possession, try to be aggressive, get one more goal. It happens to work out. It happens to work out for them this time. But I don't think this is going to work long work long term. And then when the tables turn and they don't get the result, I'm going to hear you saying that I wish they were a little bit more aggressive, put another player in the middle of the field. But now that it worked, it seems like you like. I'm just saying. It's not, it's not a one-size-fits-all statement, Jose. It can... It can look well in one game, not look good in another game. It's not a one-size-fits-all type of... uh, It's not a blanket statement here. Look, I liked it because they were giving up chances. And they were bound to give up a goal based on what we were seeing from the run of play. And Phil Neville went to his bench quickly and made a tactical adjustment. Was it defensive-minded? Yes. Yes. Can, can, you know, we can not like that from a gusto standpoint, from a personal preference standpoint... But from what we saw in the field and, and the the level of performance in terms of what Inter-Miami did, they improved. They improved defensively. They stopped giving up those clear-cut chances with an extra man in the in the defense. And they got the game-winning goal. So, yes, the, it, it worked. It worked. We don't have to like it again from a personal preference standpoint. It might not be the way that we like to watch soccer. But... It you're worked. playing at home, man. Come on, it you're playing really, at but home. It does really, but it's changing your You have to be because... so defensive playing at home. Who's, I mean, wait, hold on. on, Steve. Steve, what are you saying, Steve? Who's changing their tune? No, well, you're, you're changing your tune because we had that big argument after the uh, cup game, saying how you didn't think it was a great win. It was a, a valuable win because Steve is my is, is Miami FC the same as Atlanta United? No, okay. no. Okay. Like I, so just like I told Jose, it's not a blanket statement. It doesn't. It's not one size fits all. Inter Miami is no. expected to play better than Miami FC. It's at a higher level in a higher division. True. It's okay. Expected. No, I understand. Atlanta that. United fine. is in MLS. Atlanta United has DP players. Atlanta United has more resources. And Atlanta United came into this game yes with some injuries, but in fourth place in the Eastern Conference. So I don't agree with you that. I'm changing my tune. If it's a different game against a different opponent, different situation, Inter Miami ex- was not expected to have the ball, or not expected to play better based on what we've seen so far to to this point in the season. So I liked Phil Neville's changes. I think they helped win the game. I think they were a big part of why Inter Miami won the game. They didn't give up another goal, and they got theirs from that 
5-3-2 formation that they moved into. So that's just my opinion. But let's switch gears to Leonardo Campana because he's on he's red hot. He might be the hottest striker in MLS right now. He gets a game-winning assist and a fantastic golazo. Probably the best Inter Miami goal I've seen in almost a year, probably. Maybe that Breck Shea goal that, that, that he scored against FC Cincinnati last year. But heck of a strike, heck of a finish. Jose, I'll go back to you. What did you think of his performance, especially since you've been the one saying Iguain will start again once he's healthy, which he didn't this weekend, and that Campana would not be able to keep up this level of performance? No, I think it's it's a it's a great performance. I, I I don't know. I think, listen, what I'm saying when it comes to Iguain and Campana, it's not related to Campana's level of play. I mean, he's clearly in in great form right now, and he needs to play. Absolutely. My problem, and and I don't want to say this all over again because I've I've been saying this forever now. <laughs> but my problem make is it that clear for the people. He, make it clear for the people. Iguain, the personality, his personality was not allowed for him to be a role player in, in this team for a long time. That's that's my point when it comes to Iguain. But it has nothing to do, and I don't want to take anything away from Campana. You know, he's he has been great, and he deserves to start. He deserves to start. So I, I think his performance was great, and and. Um, you know, he's not um, a player that um, I don't think you can rely on him for the rest of a regular season. No single player will take you to the playoffs. I mean, he can be um, he can be a great asset to the team. But let's remember and just take it slowly. This is a guy that is, is not used to playing 30 matches every year. So at some point, he's going to need help. So what I'm trying to say here is, value what he's providing right now but just know that when you know it's going to be a season of ups and downs he's right now playing at a high level when he needs rest when he stops scoring goals just remember that he was good at some point and he might be able to get back at that level see because the problem is that when strikers stop scoring then we start thinking, and, and I'm sure people are going to start thinking, okay, now we need somebody else. It's not the case. It's not the case. I think he's, he's a good quality player, but he's going to need time to get you know, up to 100%. Maybe he's not at 100% right now. I don't think so. I think he can be up better than this. So I think for Sunday and for the last few games, I think it's good, but I still want to give him some time, and I, I don't think he can sustain this level for too long. So he's going to need help. I feel like El Primo is seething over there. I don't know why. I just feel like he is. Steve, your thoughts? Uh, no, I think, uh, what, on Jose's yes. nonsense? Or on, <laughs> on <what? laughs> um, no, I mean, he's right in that, you know, Iguain's ego doesn't allow him to be a bit popular, but, but what's he going to do? What is, what's he going to do? What are the options? They're not going to be able to sell him. So is he either, and this is potentially the last season of his career, what, what does he do? Does he man up? Does he get on with it and, and fight for his place and show behind the scenes he can do it? Or does he not play? But Steve, you know, you're, you're, you're thinking about Iguain's options. Think about Inter-Miami's options. They're doing if okay without him, mate. They're doing without, well, okay. without him, aren't they? Okay, what if Campana is not available? Uh, Who's yeah, the nine? Who's playing as nine? What if a meteor hits me? Hits hits us? What? What? It's possible for Campana not to play, isn't no, it? No, of course. Yeah, but listen, that's that's the that. Of course, it is 100. percent But you know, they they haven't got the numbers 
in for sure to, to replace him. Um, but they've got they have got a few options either way. You know, they can mix mix, mix things up. It wouldn't be pretty. Um, you know, they didn't really have an, another recognised. Well, I mean, Robbie Robinson potentially or something like that. They've got options, but as it stands, they have been doing pretty well without him. And I think that is, you know, uh, a precursor to to him exiting the club. You know, at the end of end of this season, a hundred percent. But I don't think Phil Neville's not losing too much sleep. He, I think he'd be desperate to get him out and get someone else in. Even he said today, you know, they're playing with no DPs. They haven't got really any DPs, although. They've got a de facto DP, I guess you could say, in Yedlin, and also maybe Companion, but um, it's a difficult Come situation. You can't it, 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 DP. See, this is what I'm hold talking on, hold about. Hold on, hold on, hold on. We hold have on. to Ecuadorian stop. Wait, 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 wait. Time out, time out, guys. Time out, time out, time out, time out. Hold on, hold on. Jose, 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 Jose. I actually didn't want to jump into the Iguain subject yet, but we can't talk about Campana without talking about Iguain. It seems like every conversation, whether it's on the pod or in person or on WhatsApp, any conversation about Campana leads to a conversation about Iguain. So let's let's tackle it head on here. Look, what are Gonzalo Iguain's options if he's not the starter? He could pout, he could say he's not going to play, he could do, or he could just get healthy and and be a super sub and accepted that role, which maybe will be a bit difficult. Maybe would be a challenge for him, which I think is one of your points. But I think that's what's going to have to happen. Yes, he will start here and there when Campana needs a rest, when Campana suffers uh, a dip in form, when Campana is called up to Ecuador. If that happens, if any of those things happen, Gonzalo Higuain is going to have to play and start. But I think... Based on what we're seeing right now, again, I go back to last week's pod, Campana is the starter. He's the number one choice at the number nine position. And and Iguain's just going to have to, Gonzalo Iguain's just going to have to accept that or raise the level of performance so high that Phil Neville has no choice but to drop Campana. And look, there's nothing wrong. Something I thought about last week when I was driving after we recorded the second podcast and I was waiting for this pod to say it, there's nothing wrong with a player who's played at a very high level, who is at an advanced stage in his career to become a super sub, to become a player that starts in spots, that comes off the bench when certain games call for it, when the team needs a goal, when they need a spark in the attack. There's nothing wrong with that. We have seen that over the course of the history of the game in different countries and at different moments. And players... There's a problem with that? Personalities. Some players are okay with that. Some others are not. That's the problem. I mean, it should be okay. I think Blaise Matuidi showed it last year. Right? I mean, he he came off the bench for for quite a few games. Gonzalo Wayne's personality is completely different than Blaise Matuidi. Absol- and I think absolutely. All agree with that. Absolutely. But I think... I think he will eventually... And I could be wrong here. Maybe we speak in a couple months and, and I'm off base and you you were proven right. But I think Gonzalo Higuain at some point will be real with himself and say, I can't give this team what Leonardo Campana can, can give this team. Look, And I, I told this to, to Steve earlier earlier today. There, there are retirement talks, right? When certain players retire, they say something along the lines of, and it happens in all different sports, they say something along the lines of, I want to leave the game before the game leaves me. Right, and they, that's why they retire somewhat early, or maybe before some people expect. That's, that's something you hear from time to time. Not everyone says that, but from time to time you hear some iteration of that. 
Gonzalo Higuain is at a point, and he's talked about you know the retirement being close. He's at a point where the game is starting to leave him. Physically, he doesn't have anywhere close to what he used to be. And what he used to be physically wasn't necessarily you know attributes of a of a track star so or a super physical specimen so he might he might be at a point in his career where he has to accept that and i think he'll be real enough with himself to say yes i would love to start every player wants to start but campana's playing well the team's doing better and i just need to be that spot starter when i'm called upon i just don't see it i don't see that at all I, I don't. I don't even. I, if we go back into. So you still think he'll uh, start? Wayne, you still think Iguain will become a starter again once he's healthy? In some yes, way, shape, or form. I think some that, way, shape, or at form. At some point, at some point, he's going to start regularly again in this season. I don't know if it's going to happen over the weekend because I don't know what's the situation with the injury. If there's any injury at all, but I think he will start eventually again for this team regularly. Okay. I just. I just. I understand completely what you're saying, but I just don't see it because if if you go back to his career, I mean, he never took that role, that role except for maybe the early years in Real Madrid, probably. But you know, we're talking about the Galacticos Real Madrid. So, but other than that, I mean, even even in Argentina, you know, when in the World Cup, he he was a starter for that team. So it's really really hard. For me to imagine a scenario in which Iwain is okay with being a role player for this team, I just—it's really, really hard. And I get your points, both of you guys, and 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 I agree a hundred percent that Campana should start. If but this, for me, if this was in, it's yeah. hard to. If this was yeah. in Europe, he'd be sold in the in the January transfer window, hundred percent, or he'd leave. I mean, it's it's not. Yeah, but yeah, but if you're playing at that level, I mean, if you're playing at that level, you know for for a fact that you know he should be retired. I mean, he shouldn't be playing in 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 any top league in the world, and he's not. So, but this is different. I think he believes that he can compete in MLS. Absolutely, and I would agree with absolutely. Oh. He can, and he can, he can. Yeah, he but, can. Look, he doesn't. So, he doesn't I mean, have to so like. What do you think? Why would he think? Okay, I'm I'm the second best player, the second best striker in this team. Why would he think that if he if we all agree that he can compete in this league? And and we, we as outsiders, of course, he is a player. He believes that he can do. I'm sure if you ask him, he he he'll tell you that he can score 20 goals in this league. He he'll tell you that because that's what he believes and that's what he should believe. If if he's not in that mindset, then he should retire. So, but you know, it's I think it comes down to personality, and that that's the thing. And that's what I, I do hate a little bit the fact that, you know, Campana gets brought into the conversation, but obviously, you know, they're competing for one spot as of right now. Maybe formation change later on will open things up for them. But to me, it's a matter of personality, of Ewain. If you move ahead two, three months, and you actually need Ewain for a big game, and he's not there mentally, and he doesn't want to contribute the same way, then you're in trouble if you're into Miami. You have to look at it from the longer-term picture, and I get what you're trying to say, but you have to go with the guy that's going to be starting, who you see as the starter. And right now, Campana's the starter. Look, Iguain doesn't have to like the fact that he might be becoming a super sub or a substitute, but he has to accept it. And you're saying you don't think he'll accept it? I'm with Steve on this one. I think he will He will come to accept it. I think just based on the way the team's doing, I think he will accept it. If the, if the team continues to play well, which is an if. Or not play well, excuse me, if they continue to get results. Continue to get and results. If he, and if, if he ends up accepting that, 
I'm going to give him a lot of credit because I'm not expecting that from him. I wish he would do that because I, I know he can be an asset to this team, you know, playing every now and then. But for me right now, it's just hard to see that happen. But if that ends up becoming a reality, I think, you know, that's a good scenario for, for Inter Miami, as long as Campana, you know, still plays at a high level, of course. Okay, well, let's get back to Campana very, very quickly. Just want to get your thoughts on his goal. Was it the best goal that Inter Miami has scored this season? Yes or no, Jose? Um, yeah, I would say yes. I mean, it's the, the way he controls the ball. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a good cross as well, but hard to control. Back to the goal, turns around. Yeah, good goal. Beautiful goal. Yeah, I would say so. Steve? Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. Yeah, without a doubt, really. Lovely, lovely touch and a, and, a, and a great finish as well. When you first watched it, it was unclear whether or not he sort of flicked it past or it came past, came off the other Inter Miami player. But it definitely lovely little touch and, and finish and scored it just at a really crucial time as well. Yeah, so, so I, I was under the impression he brought it down from, from the start, but I, I did hear from other people they thought that maybe Robbie Robinson got a touch to help set up the chance. But look, to take nothing away, to take nothing away from DeAndre Yedlin's great cross, because that goal doesn't happen without the cross, even though it's a little bit behind Campana. But Campana's ability to bring that ball down the way he does, pull off the half turn, and then hit that pinpoint finish across his body to the far post is a thing of dreams. That was heavenly. Heavenly. Again, best goal I've seen from Inter Miami in, in about a year. In about a year. Incredible goal. It'll be in his highlight reel from here until the rest of his career because that was a spectacular, spectacular, spectacular finish. Heck of a half turn and a, and a feathery touch to bring that ball down. So good stuff from Leonardo Campana. Also gets the assist on a play in which he easily could have shot, but he did the unselfish thing. Laid it across for Bryce Duke, who gets his first professional goal, his first MLS goal, and his first Inter-Miami goal. And that stands as the game winner. Before we switch gears, I also want to say that that second goal comes as a result of Campana's ability to press a little bit. Because he's pressing the Atlanta United center back, and that's where he... Well, look, the center back makes a mistake. 100% he makes, he makes a yes. mistake. But, but... But the center back, because he has Campana behind him, he forces himself into a decision that is a poor pass. Inter Miami gets the ball, they attack the other way, and they score, and they score the game-winning goal. So that type of, of those type those little details, those little details are things that someone like Phil Neville and his coaching staff will look at and say, "Man, Leonardo Campana gives us a whole lot." Stuff that Gonzalo Higuain just doesn't give you because Gonzalo Higuain does not press. He does not harry defenders that consistently and in that way across the field and in different positions of the field. So Campana, heck of a performance. Once again, he's the, he's the, he's the hot hand right now. Inter Miami will continue to ride that until he cools off. And then maybe even then they'll continue to, to, to turn to him. Guys, from Gonzalo Higuain's standpoint, what'd you think of his return? Came off the bench late, suffered an injury, limped through the rest of the game, his status for this weekend against the New England Revolution is in doubt. He was in crutches from what I heard from sources on Monday, but I saw him today, Wednesday at the practice, and he didn't have any crutches, but he was walking around the field a little gingerly, did not uh, did not train from what we saw from the portion that was available to, to media. So did not train with the team as of Wednesday. Phil Neville did say, well, did not rule him out for the weekend, but said there's a slight chance. 
that Iguain could play or could be in the in the match day roster depending on how the Argentine recovers over the next few days. What did you see from Iguain in his cameo, Steve? Uh, yeah, he buzzed. He buzzed about a bit. Uh, did a, you know, he he has a presence, doesn't he? So when when he comes on the pitch, the opposition will look at it and think, you know, they'll they'll be on they'll be on their guard. That is undoubted. It's just, you know, the ego of of the guy. Just whether or not you know the, the management can manage that and sort him out. But he'll always contribute on the field. He's a quality player. That is not diminished. And he, yeah, I thought he looked he looked okay for someone that hasn't had too many minutes. He um yeah, and he just gives them something a little bit different. I don't think there's. Neither are him or Campana are, uh, are relatively fast, but Iguain's probably better on the ball, stronger, holds the ball up well. We saw we saw a few little glimpses glimpses of that when he when he came on. I don't think he's stronger, but do you, not, so, not so you, stronger, but he just holds the ball up maybe in a, in, a, in a different way. He's technically he's probably better, isn't he? So do you? Yeah, so do you like you liked what you saw from him in the return? Uh, yeah, he did. He did okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, didn't didn't set the world alight, did he? Inter Miami fans did not like his entrance into the game. At least some Inter Miami fans did not because they booed him. And that is right. something we we can confirm here because a couple of people asked me, did that really happen? Is that actually a thing? Because on the broadcast, I believe the commentators on ESPN, they, uh, Taylor Twelman, uh, they were talking in the moment of the substitution. I don't even think the broadcast catches the substitution take place. So you don't really see that or hear that. But in the stadium, there were boos when he was getting ready to come on. Campana turned around, or Campana at least waved a finger saying, no, don't boo. La Familia, where a lot of the boos were coming from. No, don't come on. (laughs) Well, no, La Familia kind of silenced their boos. Iguain came on the field, and then there were some more boos. I don't know where they came from, but there were some boos when when Iguain came back onto the field after Campana had come off. So clearly he's definitely persona non grata right now. Maybe public enemy number one with regards to to the team because of his lack of production. I've told this to people I've spoken to. As soon as he scores his first goal, the fans will start to like him a little bit more. Doesn't mean they're going to fall in love with Gonzalo Higuain, but they'll like him a little bit more and they will celebrate that goal. It's not like they're going to turn their back uh, to the goal or, or to the field if Gonzalo Higuain scores. And that's and Gonzalo Higuain knows that better than anybody's played at the highest levels. He knows that that's that's how sports and that's how football is. You have to continuously prove yourself, and when you don't, you know there there tend to be some criticism and some negative opinions about your level of play. So you know he didn't do a whole lot from what I saw. Uh, you know, kudos to him for trying to to toughen it out and play through uh, through the injury that he picked up there. It's a quad injury, and there was one play before he got injured where he was defending in the Inter Miami penalty area, like the whole team was defending a corner kick, I believe. And Inter Miami gets out of it, and they quickly hit in transition, quick counterattack, and he runs from Inter Miami six yard box to Atlanta United six yard box. Not the fastest runner, of course, not the fastest sprint, but he hustled. He busted his tail to try to get to the other area to score a goal. I saw a player during his ten minutes or so that was really, really hungry to score, and I'm curious that when he does score again, how he celebrates because because clearly. He's being impacted. He knows the narrative. He knows the storyline. He knows that he's obviously not the fan favorite right now. So I'm curious if he just celebrates that normally or just passionately or if, if there's something more to it. Because I could tell, I mean, I, at least my, my perception was that he really, really, really badly wanted to score. 
Uh, and he got frustrated when the ball didn't come his way on a couple of occasions on opportunities he thought he should have scored on, including that that long that long run, that long busting sprint because he like crumbled to the ground uh, on his knees and on his hands after the ball didn't get to him. So, Jose, do you agree with that? Did you see a player that really really wanted to score? Well. Yeah, yeah, because I think it's a very uncomfortable situation for Iwain right now. Whether he's in the process of accepting a new role with this team or not, um, the situation right now is is very clear. You know, it's it's Campana first and then everybody else. And um, it's not supposed to be that way, especially for Iwain. It should be Iwain comes first and then everybody else. Um, so, yeah, I think it, it, he's going to try to prove a point on the field and that's why we saw him running around a little bit more obviously he was a little bit fresher than the rest of uh, of the players on the field um but but i i I didn't see much from him you know i I saw effort yeah but in terms of you know uh, talking aspects of the game i I didn't see much from him he was he was not as involved I, i saw the desire but other than that not much i don't think the game provided him with opportunities as well um so um, I, I was surprised he came on I'm, I'm oh um i was surprised he came yeah, on i was, I was surprised, surprised. He came on. i noticed in the celebration of the second goal you know there was a situation there where um and maybe i'm reading too much into it but everybody that was uh, warming up on the sideline everybody went on and celebrated except for Wayne. Right. He was he, just he like clapping, he didn't join standing. The group. Right, right. He yeah, he didn't. He didn't went in and and you know just hug everybody like everybody else was doing. But um, maybe this you know shows a little bit the frustration, which is normal. And I guess at you know at some point you, you you I'm kind of glad that I see that because it means that he still cares. You know, he's it's. But I, I don't know. It's just I think it's we don't, we didn't have enough to make an assessment on on what he did in his performance, but. I will highlight the desire of him getting back on the field and getting scoring that goal. And yes, I am looking forward to that moment because I want to see the celebration. I have to be honest. Second half, I was looking at him for a long time. You know, just following him around. And all eyes on Iguain. Yeah, all eyes on Iguain. Yeah, the way he reacted to things. So I have an idea of what he did, but. Um, on the field, it, it's hard to judge. In pregame warmups, it must be noted. He didn't really warm up with a lot of the team for a large portion of it. Kind of just stood around. Almost looked, someone someone mentioned it to me, almost looked like a coach, the way he just kind of stood and observed. And I, I took a picture of it on my phone, but I never, I never got a chance to tweet it out. Just got caught up in the game action. But he definitely looked like he was observing more as opposed to taking part in a lot of the warm-up drills. So we'll see how things progress with regards to him this weekend and going forward. Franco, just to add something else to that, I think it's normal, you know, human behavior. You know, think about it. If for some reason next podcast, uh, I'm not invited and I'm not here, and and you only get, and you send me a message and tell me, okay, next podcast you're you're only going to have one minute to say whatever you think about the game. It's funny. And then I'm listening to the podcast. I'm I'm listening to the podcast next week, and I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be thinking like, oh man, I wish I was there for the whole thing, not just for one minute. So, but it's not I mean, like he's been uninvited to play for Inter Miami. He's just no. He's but been, I mean, he's been but injured. I want to be in the podcast for the full episode, not only for one minute. So sure. think about it from from his standpoint. You know, 
just knowing that he's not going to start. I mean, you still um, got to be professional, though. You still have to be professional. And, well, of course. And, so. Of course, he needs to be there. He needs to be there. He needs to be there for the team. But, uh, I mean, it's it's hard. It's hard for a player that's used to playing at the highest level. They're not used to coaches telling them, no, you're not starting. And that's, I mean, it's it's a normal reaction. Normal reaction to me. Well, let's see how things progress going forward. With regards to Gonzalo Higuain, it's definitely a storyline that a lot of people are are keeping track of. Now, let's switch gears to two more players that I think need a shout-out, deserve a shout-out, because of their performances put forth this weekend. Jose touched on one of them, DeAndre Yedlin. The other one was Nick Marsman, who came up with multiple saves to help Inter-Miami stay ahead in this one. So, very quickly... Jose, your thoughts. Who is who is better? I mean, I guess you think Yedlin was better, but your thoughts again then on on Marsman? No, yeah, I I already mentioned about Yedlin. I think he played a really really good game, and and I like the leadership from him. And Marsman, you know, I think I, I I didn't see anything out of the ordinary. I think those are saves that he should make. So, um, yeah, I would go with Yedlin. I, I I would mention Yedlin over Marsman. I think he just had a, a, a good performance and an okay performance. That's what I come to expect from a goalkeeper. Primo. Yeah, Yedlin I like. Uh, you know, I've spoken to people that covered him in, in England and they weren't sure. Always good going forward, but unsure about him defending. But I think certainly in MLS, you know, he's uh, he's proven his worth, you know, as the defender as well as an attacker. But I think he's a good, uh, he's a good character, good personality, he's a good leader. Effectively, it's like I think Phil Neville said it, earlier today he's like a you know a dp that's not a dp really and um yeah he's, he's also got a cool guy he's got some crazy tattoos if anyone check check out his tattoos some some stuff on his neck and um pet portrait of him on his arm there's some wild stuff but he's a really interesting guy actually as well and um yeah we spoke to him a few times i'm gonna sit i've sat down with him and he's, a, he's a good guy okay i agree with both of you i think deandre yedlin had, had a good game and i th- and don't forget by the way his filthy filthy meg on uh on, on Andrew Gutman there in the in the first half. If you haven't seen it or you missed it, you you know because if you blinked your eye, you would have missed it. Go on Miami Total Football's Instagram page. Pulls off a filthy nutmeg. Incredible bit of skill there from the the right back. But I think he's been quietly playing very well, very quietly, kind of under the radar. Not not been in the spotlight a whole lot in terms of his his level of play. But I think he's been very very good. Look at the the recent stretch of games. He got a game-winning assist on the goal in the victory in Seattle. And now he gets an assist on the goal that brought into Miami level against Atlanta United. So pretty good from the right back. And I think he provides another weapon, another dynamic that's not there, especially at left back with Christopher McVeigh, who doesn't get forward as well. I think he gives Inter-Miami's attack... Uh, a bit more unpredictability because now you have another player that can overlap, that can make those marauding runs forward. I think Phil Neville said today, Wednesday at practice, that uh, that he's forming a better partnership with Ariel Lasseter. They're understanding one another a bit more. And we saw that, or we saw glimpses of that in this game against Atlanta United. Nick Marsman, for me, put in a very good performance as well. The goal scorers get all the love, but I think Marsman was deserving of a shout as well. He made six saves, including a couple of I won't say incredible ones, but pretty good ones that helped Inter Miami in a great way in this one. So solid. But noted also, you you sorry, Franco, you you asked him also about his distribution. He was a little bit harsh on himself, wasn't he? he didn't f- feel like he he was maybe you know passing the ball as well as he could be. Well, I mean, and, and that's something that I think Inter Miami needs to adjust in general. And I don't think it's just a Nick Marsman thing. I think you know, I asked him the question started from 
is he playing longer and not going short with his distribution and his passes as much as we saw at points last year because it's by tactical instruction or because that's what he's seeing on the field. And he said it's a little bit of both. And but and he wants to be better at in terms of his distribution. He wants to get back to, to being uh, making more more accurate passes. Now I think part of the reason why we're not seeing Inter Miami build out as much is because the center backs that they have don't have the cleanest touch. They're not the softest footed players. So you know I don't think Inter Miami is able to build out or there's not enough confidence in them attempting to build out as there was maybe with Leandro Gonzalez Pires and, and Nicolas Figal. So Inter Miami opts to go a little bit longer, at least right now, in terms of their, their build-out. You know, it's something that they're still figuring out how to work on. They had Gene Mota play the six in this game, by the way, to, to help with that building out. And he did okay at, at times, although defensively I thought he left something to be desired. But anyway, let's quickly touch on one last thing from this game. And this could be a longer debate, but let's try to keep it short. Noah Allen had an incident there after coming on in which he definitely makes contact with Brooks Lennon. Brooks Lennon goes down. There were shouts for a penalty kick from Atlanta United's part. The play went to video review. It was deemed not a penalty. Steve, we talked about this earlier today. Do you think it was a penalty? Yes or no? Well, I think, I personally think it was a penalty kick. I, I understand that the Miami, some of the Miami coaching team also thought that it was a, it was a penalty. Uh, it's just one of those where you kind of got away with it, really. I mean, you know, if that would have been in the, in the middle of the park, it may not have been a foul. But, you know, all the red flags were raised in terms of contact and, and being in the air, etc. So I, I think they got away with one there, yeah. Okay, I did not think it was a penalty kick. I, there's definitely contact made. There's contact there. But I don't think it was enough for a penalty kick. Brooks Lennon clearly tries to sell it, and he tries to, to flop to help earn the call, which he doesn't get. So I thought it would have been a soft, soft call call i definitely could have seen another referee calling it though definitely could have seen that happen so no penalty kick for me jose yes i am the tiebreaker and yes it is a penalty wow. i agree with El primo i would call that a penalty um I, listen i think oh, I, i've heard opinions and um i was watching the re-watching this the spanish broadcast and um on, on espn deportes and and they all agree that it was a penalty as well. So I think you are probably the first person that I hear saying that it's not a penalty. It's not a penalty kick, brother. And this is funny because this is the second time in a matter of a few weeks that we've had uh, a disagreement with regards to a potential penalty kick or not, or a penalty kick or not. Last time it was the Damien Lowe foul. You both agreed. You thought it was not a penalty kick. I thought that was absolutely a penalty kick. And on this one, you both say, yes, it is. And I say, no, it's not. I don't think there's enough contact there. I don't think there's enough. I yes, we contact with him in the box. Okay, so it's it's a contact sport. A it's a contact sport. So what? That, that... I know, man, but it was a penalty. In the box, you can't do that. It's a penalty all day long. It's amazing. And he even went to VAR. I mean, it was and astonishing. They, and, they, really. and they didn't give it to And they didn't call it. It's just absolutely that. astonishing. Yeah. He went to the, the video. He looked at it for a good few minutes and still didn't give it. Amazing, really. Too Amazing. soft. Amazing too letter. soft. Too soft. Brooks Lennon wouldn't have had to flop if it was that hard of a foul. If it was a if it was a foul that was deserving of a penalty. In kick. the Premier if, League, in the Premier League, that would be given all, all day. All uh, day I don't think so, and I would. It would. I would hope oh, not. Man, I don't think so, and I would hope not because he's flopping well, the to sell it. League final. If that wasn't given, then it would be up, absolute uproar. Mm, I mean, there would be uproar regardless because it's a controversial play, but. 
There's not there's no. not enough there. If there was enough there, he wouldn't need to flop. He wouldn't need to move flop. On. He wouldn't need to Time flop. to move on. All right. Time to so, move. so so penalty kick arguments, two for Franco, <laughs> zero for Jose, zero for Steve. All right, I like it. All right. Before <laughs> before uh, we before we wrap up this first segment, let's quickly touch on two last things. One is the US Open Cup draw happened last week. Inter Miami on May 10th will play Tormenta FC. They avoided an MLS team. Very favorable draw for Inter Miami. Jose, what do you think of that draw? Inter Miami looks looking good for the next round, huh? Yeah, well, they should. They should. They should win that game. But um, I, I wouldn't be too optimistic. You know, I, I'm just I, Open Cup is it, it's a different tournament. You know, you just have to play well for not even ninety minutes. You know, just just need one bad decision from the referee. Uh, a corner kick, a free kick, one moment can change the game. So um, if if Tormenta made it this far, you know, it's it's for a reason. So I, I want to wait. I know and I would expect Inter-Miami to win the game and they are favorites. But I think, you know, we still have to wait and see what, what Tormenta brings to the table. I haven't seen them play, so I'll be watching some of their games and see I wouldn't expect them to play at a highest level, but you know maybe they have a player or two that can end up making a difference in one game. Remember, it's just one one game. They're having a great season actually on a good run. I think they've only lost. Just looking at their fixtures here, I think they've only lost once all uh, all, all season. So it should be uh, should be interesting. What a great draw for them as well. Brilliant. Inter well, Inter Miami will love that draw. Will love that draw. I imagine Phil Neville and his staff. They'll never say it publicly, but I can imagine them sitting there watching the draw and being very, very happy about landing that team. Because, yes, it's a one-off. They'll be motivated. They're underdogs. But they'd rather play that level of opponent in the round of 32 rather than an MLS team. So we'll leave it there with regards to that topic. One final thing we have to touch on, and this is going to make this segment, I'm sure, a little bit longer, is the stadium update that is expected on – or the stadium vote that's expected – or not expected, on Thursday. It's been talked about quite a bit over the last two weeks. You know, I'm bored of the stadium conversation in general, but we have to touch on it because it is news pertinent to this week. Inter Miami's hopeful of a vote that finally gives them approval. They need four yeses out of five. Will we even get a vote? Jose? Uh, from what, what I'm hearing is that there will, there will not be a vote. You know, there are things that still need to be worked on for that to happen. But, you know, that's not necessarily bad news. I mean, for fans, of course, maybe for Inter-Miami, they're going to have to pay a little bit more. But um, I think, you know, the conversation about the stadium has been ongoing for too long that I'm just happy that right now we're not just talking about the stadium, but we're talking about games and players coming in and players being unhappy and Campana scoring goals. There are so many good things happening right now. Um, uh, I, I think we just have to wait and see what you know what happens in the. That, remember, that's politics. So you know that's that's gonna be tough. Several situations that could happen. I think as of right now, we're just gonna have to wait it out and see what happens after it and how long it takes. If it, if it ends up hap- and ends up happening, how long would it take for for the for Miami Freedom Park to actually become a reality? Why would it not happen though? Why why might it not happen? Well, because. Well, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead, Steve. You, no, you, I was going to say there's there's been a, there's probably there's a suggestion that they you know they haven't satisfied everything in terms of I don't know um, 
costs and different things they're going to do has that been satisfied enough and then they can move forward with the vote that's how i kind of understand it there needs to be a new appraisal on the land right that's where one of the biggest issues lies and that's something jorge mas admitted earlier this week on an on an interview he did with nbc6 if i'm not mistaken because when they drew up these 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 terms this was a few years ago now obviously anyone in south florida knows that the real estate market has has skyrocketed. Things are much, much more costly now than they were a f- couple years ago even. So there is the need for a new appraisal. And again, Jorge Mas acknowledged that in an interview earlier this week. And that is one big point ahead of Thursday, which may lead to there being no vote. Because until those new terms are agreed upon, then then, they, then the commissioners may not vote on it. But we'll see. Anything can happen on Thursday. There might be a vote. There might not be a vote. There could be a vote that ends with a yes. There could be a vote that ends with a no. We'll see how it all plays out. Inter Miami's remaining hopeful and and looking to to get that over the finish line. I, I I don't know enough about politics to tell you whether it's going to happen or not. So I'll just leave it there. But you know anything can happen on Thursday. Anything can happen on Thursday. Let's leave it there. It's been a lengthy first segment. Let's take a quick break. We will come back and preview Inter Miami's game against the New England, New England Revolution with David Goss. We will do that after this. I feel I feel as if now, with the results that we're getting, people will probably start to see a different Miami into Miami. Uh, that's what that's what I've wanted all along. Uh, one with clear di- identity. I still think there's loads and loads of stuff that we can do better, keep the ball better, possess the game better. But we have we have the key qualities that make successful teams successful, uh, and and that's that in, indomitable spirit, indomitable togetherness loving being together uh and uh and fight okay everybody we're going to do something a little bit differently this week normally we preview the upcoming game for inter miami with a media member in the local market of the opposing team but since inter miami just played the new england revolution a couple weeks ago we're going to switch it up and we're going to go national here and who better to do that with than with my friend david goss who is also an mls Today, host and a soccer broadcaster in general in a bunch of different places. You've probably heard his name in some place at, over the years. And if you're new to MLS, well, you will very, very shortly. Goss, I call him Goss, is a very personal friend of mine. We go way back to the New York days, my time in the in New York. We played soccer together on a few teams. We won a title. We won a trophy together, yeah. brother. We won a trophy together with your flying headers from the back. How are you doing, David? I'm doing great. I'm limping along right now. I haven't played in a couple of weeks because, uh, I don't know, I injured literally everything at the same time. So I appreciate you making me feel young and, and athletic again. <laughs> I, can't, I can't even call you David. I'm just calling Goss, man. I yeah, can't that's call fine. You, I, I, uh, we normally just go by Goss. I don't know if in the professional world you have people call you David or Dave. I just call you Goss. I've always called you Goss. So it just felt weird calling you David. I almost said David Beckham for a second there. But <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Goss. Thank you for coming on. Let's just jump right into it. New England Revolution. Inter-Miami plays them once again, this time on the road. Last time was in Fort Lauderdale at Drive Pink Stadium. New England's in a bad way. It still is in a bad way. Last time we had Frank DeLapp on. We spoke about the balancing of the CONCACAF Champions League. And obviously that does impact teams at the start of MLS seasons when they're, when they're juggling those two competitions at once. But they're out of that competition now and they're still struggling. What are your thoughts on the New England Revolution start to the 2022 season? 
Yeah, it's been interesting. I think I think the Champions League part of it was legitimate, obviously sure. from the open. But I think one of the reasons we see Champions League be tough for teams is obviously you have the focus, you have the travel. But the other thing is you ramp players up really quickly to high level games early in the season. And sometimes players aren't physically there. And so the drawback has been injuries. And that's a large part of what's happening to the Revs. And so, you know, for a player, for a club, you sort of have a process, which is preseason starts, let's say, January 20th. How do you get a player hitting their peak in November? And that's a long process. And so to try and do it to players in February and March is very dangerous. This is what happened to TFC. This is what happened to LAFC when they won and then went into Champions League deep and then weren't able to maintain it afterwards. And so we've seen the injuries to Henry Kessler, obviously the injury to Matt Turner. There's a ton of question marks around that and where it came from and what's happening there. Right. He's still out. You have, you've had injuries to Andrew Farrell, which this is a guy who played almost every single minute for you last year, and now Gustavo Bo and Adam Buxa as well. So when you look at the quality on the roster, it did shift. They sold Tejan Buchanan last year, who was a game-breaker, uh, and they sold Matt Turner, although he wasn't technically leaving yet, but they haven't had him this season. All of that goes into, I think, the struggles that the Revs have had. And when you look at Bruce Arena, you're looking at a guy who's won every single place he's gone in the league pretty much in his whole career, and he is a empower the players coach. Get the talent on the field and they'll figure it out. And now you're looking at a team where the talent isn't on the field and there are a ton of question marks. And Bruce Arena, I don't know, is really the guy to tweak things as it goes along. So it does feel like the Revs are in a waiting game just to see can they get healthy and get right. But they do have some talent, right? They, like, let's mm-hmm. just look at their lineup from this last weekend's 3-2 to defeat to DC United. And by the way, they gave up three goals in the first half after scoring uh, early on, on on the road. They still had in uh, in that lineup... Buxa, Hill, Leggett, Pharrell. I mean, they have some decent pieces there, some decent MLS and some players with national team experience. They have Carlos Hill, the reigning MLS MVP. Shouldn't they be doing better than what they're doing right now, though? Yeah, I would argue they also have the best fullback pairing, maybe in MLS. I love Dewan Jones. I think he's unbelievable on the ball, getting forward, creating. And then Brandon By scored a banger to open it up against the against dc so yeah i agree with you there is talent it should be better i think that's where a lot of the frustration comes from but when you look at what it was last year and when you look at this the game against um against dc they are silly mistakes i think the game played out the way they wanted it to and their mental mistakes their you know lack of closing a player down or reading the next play they should be better and i think that's where some of the frustration lies but at the same time, I, I feel like you can see the reasons for some of the losses. And one of the things for them last year was Turner was the top two goalkeeper in the league, right? He kept them in games right. on chances they gave up. So they've lost that while be- taking a step back defensively. But they had guys with game-breaking moments in Bo, Buchanan, Heal, and Buxa. You've now, with the injury to Bo, you've lost 50% of that. And re- remi- reminder... Books has been out a ton this year as well, whether it's for red cards, going to play for Poland or injuries. So they've lost that ability to be the worst team and still win, which was a big part of their ability to win last year. Is that is that the biggest thing that you think? Obviously, I 
don't imagine you watch every single game of every single team uh, in Major League Soccer. But from what you've seen of New England, is that the biggest issue? Is that what what's the the origin of their of their 2022 problem so far, or, or are there other things as well as play? I know you touched on earlier the the juggling of the Concacaf Champions League. Uh, yeah, I think I think um, to me that is the the core of what's at its fault. Now there is a part of New England struggles that goes back to last year, which was whenever you're great, especially in MLS with salary cap restrictions and you, you can't build a Man City. There are always these underlying issues that just didn't hurt you that year, right? When you go back and you look at TFC in 2018 after they were dominant in 2017 or LAFC the same, it's like, oh, yeah, they actually gave up a ton of chances the year before. The other teams just didn't finish or they didn't create as many chances as you thought. They were just super efficient. And that's the case for the Revs. Like they gave up a lot of big opportunities last year and Turner was just unbelievable. And Kessler and Farrell were dialed in. And then at other times, there was a, a fair amount of games. Um, the Philly Union had a couple games against New England, as did NYCFC, that, where they would say, we outplayed them, but Tejan or Gustavo Bo just killed us in one moment, and we lost. So I think the Revs were always going to take a step back this year, and I don't think that's a problem for them because I think their goal is MLS Cup, and they don't really, I don't want to say care, but Bruce Arena... For him, it doesn't really matter what happens at times in May and April and June. Sure. His focus is is sort of ramping up to the end. Right. I think they were always going to take that step back. I just think with CCL and with the losses they've had in injuries, it happened faster than expected. But now I actually think it gives them the opportunity to build back up as the season goes along. Right. And they've already won a supporter shield. So mm-hmm. they, they, yeah. don't, they don't necessarily need to gun to win another one. They've, they've crossed that off the checklist. Uh, quickly, before we change gears to Inter-Miami, just to, to hear your thoughts on them as a national media member, I want to ask you in somewhat of a similar vein to the situation going on down here in South Florida, Josie Altador is a member of the New England Revolution as of this season. And he's primarily coming off the bench. Came off the bench of the past weekend. Why do you think that is? Josie Altador is obviously, uh, he's had a, a very good U.S. men's national team career, whether, you know, you're you're listening to this and you you love what Josie Altador has done for the national team in his career or you don't, uh, you know, you can say he's had a good career with the national team by and large, by and large. So why is Josie Altador, in your opinion, not starting for this revolution team, given his pedigree and his track record? I know there's, attack, there's some good attacking talent there, but Gustavo Bose, like you said, is injured. So why isn't Josie Altador, in your opinion, starting on this team? So to start, to be clear, I stand Josie. So if anyone's wondering where I stand on what <laughs> you're saying, some people are for, some people are against. I'm all in pro Josie. I think he's an unbelievable player. I think he's a generational USMNT player. I think for Toronto, he's been one of the best players in MLS history. And he's been, I think, the spear of one of the best teams in MLS history. So just putting that out there for anyone who who's curious. Um, he just wants you to I know think, that he is a Josie yeah. Altador aficionado through and through. All right, he made it clear. <laughs> Listen, come on. He, I know Josie's listening, so I want Josie to know that as well. I support you. I'm here for you. I think Goss, I Goss, is wearing, Goss is wearing a Josie Altador U.S. Miss National Team jersey as we speak right now. I think it's on right now. I would I wouldn't be I wouldn't be mad about it if I had one. <laughs> I'll throw that out there. Uh, so I think I think with Josie, there's a few things, and and it goes back to what I said. On the last point, which was Bruce Arena's goal for the Revs is to be in the best place in October and November as he can be. Josie hasn't played week to week in a year and a half to two years. 
So to get him right, you can't just throw him in and have him be a guy you're leaning on. They could have used him in CCL earlier and more, and I don't think he's physically there yet. He's also a player who's dealt with injuries, who has struggled with a couple different issues. I think accelerating him too fast is a is a fear for the Revs. So I, I think even with Buxa or with Bo out and the issues they've had with Buxa, the focus is we have a plan for how to treat Josie and we're not going to deviate from that. And I think that's a key to the way they're building over the course of the season. Now, he, we've seen him start in places, but the belief is that Adam Buxa will be sold this summer. Josie's already the replacement there. They're not bringing another player in. So their focus is to make sure that Josie is physically ready to start week to week from July 5th on through the end of the season and less what he can do for them in April and May. Okay, then to switch gears, got two more for you. And I'm calling you Goss. Never, ever, ever calling you David ever again. I felt like Fair. I was. I felt like I was like uh, in Talking Spanish. Would be parents? it would be yeah. Like I was like I was scolding you. Like David, come over here, <laughs> sir, right now. No, okay, Goss. Switching gears to Inter Miami. You had me on MLS today earlier this week, and we and you had me. You asked me what I thought has been the turning point. Now Inter Miami's turning point, regardless of what anybody thinks about it, started with the last game against the New England Revolution. Their, their mm-hmm. most recent meeting. 32 victory for Inter Miami and Leonardo Campana hat trick. Since then, the team's been on a run. Leonardo Campana has been on a good run of form. I flip the question now back to you. What has changed for Inter Miami from your seat, from your opinion, again, as a national media member? And I can't just use all the answers you gave me and just say <laughs> them back, right? I have to uh, say my own stuff. I mean, you can. You can if you want. <laughs> um, no, I think... Listen, I think we talked about it. I think the first thing for Inter Miami, what it feels like is just a culture of expectation and winning and confidence is something that's lacked in the club completely. Um, And it feels like once they were able to get that first win with Campana scoring the goals and then you get the result in um, Seattle, it started to come together. Now, I thought they played well against Houston the week before. Houston was efficient with their chances. Miami was awful with their chances. So I think the building blocks were there. Um, We talked a bit about DeAndre Yedlin. Mm -hmm. I really do think, I I thought the idea behind playing the back five made sense. I always sort of believe if you don't have two elite center backs, put three out there. And if you have good wing backs, you sort of unleash them to be attacking creative players. But I think the issue was, that Inter Miami legitimately doesn't have three dangerous center backs. And so now you've got McVie playing as that left back. He swings in, it unleashes Yedlin to be as dangerous as he wants to be and can sort of change the shape of opposition teams to what Inter Miami wants. So I think all of those moves have been good from a confidence point of view of the way the team's built. Now Campana with the belief he has in his finishing and then some of the structural changes. It feels like all of it's come together at the right time. And, and you can say, You know, it was a bad Seattle team focused on Champions League in that game. All those things. Those are games Inter Miami hasn't won in the past. And I would argue as we sit here, you know, eight, nine games into the season and you look at Philadelphia who can't complete a pass first in the league. You look at Austin with a ton of question marks second in the West. Like anything that gets you points is a positive because it puts you in a playoff race. It doesn't matter what the performance or who the opponent was. I just think for teams right now it's about stacking points to give yourself breathing room as the season rolls along 
Wow, that's I don't know if the South Florida listeners will agree with that because obviously there's very South American influence, Latin American influence here, and the performance does tend to be a, a important factor for a lot of people. But I agree that by and large, South the Inter Miami fans will be happy with the wins if even if the performances haven't it, haven't been great. Haven't. Let been great. me say this though, and I agree with you. And listen, if I was a fan, that's how I'd feel. But you know, right now that this year is almost a lost year, right? So wouldn't you rather have some belief that the team's moving in the right direction towards next year than maybe the style is pretty, but it's, you know, not successful and there's nothing to bring the next players in? Absolutely. I think think fans, generally speaking, would rather see wins, ugly wins, than beautiful losses, uh, especially after the last two years. Which takes me to my final question for you, Goss. And if we talked about the positive run for Miami, we can't ignore the past that has been mostly negative. From your seat, and I haven't. Se- well, we've seen each other. We've crossed paths in, in different moments at different events since I left New York in 2020, to, to for one of the reasons to come cover Inter Miami in South Florida, my hometown, my home area. But obviously, this team came in with a lot of expectations, a lot of hype, a lot of talk, and they have not met those for various reasons. And they've had issues off the field as well as on the field. What have you thought about Inter Miami's start overall? To life in MLS, it's tough. Um, I am someone. Bring, who... bring the opinions. Bring the opinions because yeah. listen, this this conversation reminds me of us after our games or just hanging out in New York and being at the bar. And I know you're an opinionated person, so you for can sure. come in. You can come in two foot and slide tackle if you want. Uh, so I think for starters, you only get one shot at a first impression. And in MLS's history, teams that haven't nailed that have struggled just forever and a lot of that goes back to mls 1.0 right you and me we know how beautiful red bull arena is how successful jesse marsh's teams were no one cares in the market and so because metro stars got it wrong and giant stadium was a bad place to see games and maybe the broadcasts weren't high quality all those things put them behind the eight ball now i do think miami's a different market in terms of the you know the passion around the game and and the size of the market as well as i think mls is in a different place but i just think there was a huge opportunity missed to hit the ground running and be a successful team clearly um the moss brothers and and david beckham were sold uh i don't know a bag of fake goods from paul mcdonough and i've met paul mcdonough i've spoken to him i spoke to him while they were building the team i thought he was someone who knew what he was doing from his time in Atlanta, it felt like he was a guy who understood what it took to MLS to win an MLS. And I think in the end, he may have actually been more excited about, you know, being a, the first guy to sign X million dollar Argentine U20 player and then sell him. And I think there were things that the team was built around that weren't how do we win games and who is our identity and more what can we be? What can our brand be? What can we be known for? And that all all of that came together into a mistake. And it really has been, I, I have to admit, I do watch a ton of MLS. I watch most teams, most games. I'd say over the last year and a half, you know, a you keep, weekend. You keep a, you keep a, don't you keep a uh, Google Doc? Or you kept a Google Doc I, one year I, with other I, people at MLS to see who watched the most percentage of games, which is incredibly high, by the way. Incredibly to be clear, high. I did not start that. Ham started that. She tried to track me, and it was untenable. <laughs> Because it's an untenable amount of games I watch. But I, I do try and watch most teams. But there are, you know, if now there are 14 games a weekend, you sort yeah. of have to pick things to say, okay, what do I start with? And if to it, I'll get there. And the, the list was Inter-Miami and San Jose the last two years. 
because the games just they weren't relevant to me for their opponents to other games they played. Right. I didn't learn a lot about the Chicago Fire, or the New England Revolution, when they played those two teams because the games were so different than the average MLS game. And so I sort of hadn't tuned in as much as I would because it was a bad product and it just felt like right. it didn't matter and, and all those things. Now it's been more enjoyable and, you know, obviously – it's more enjoyable to watch. And I will say I was down at the Generation Adidas Cup. It feels like the Academy is on the right path. It feels like, from what I understand, they're tapping into the market the way they should without trying to overpower it. One of the big issues with MLS clubs is if you try and have 500 kids in your Academy, you're stealing from the other clubs. There there has to be a right way to work with it. And it feels like Inter-Miami's done the right thing of we'll take one good player from Kendall, but we'll also send back a player or two who maybe we don't think can cut it for us so they can remain competitive. And you're not stealing business from these teams where you're trying to run. FC Dallas has uh, makes millions of dollars off their youth academies. But that also means you're taking away business from youth academies in the area, which can be a political issue. I think Inter Miami's done all that right. So there are some blocks that they've gotten right, but they are behind the eight ball. I mean, Chris Anderson said it how many times this offseason was more hectic than Seattle's expansion year. Like he made right. more moves than building a club out of nothing. That is such an absurd thing to hear. Uh, and I, as parody driven as MLS is, I still think it's going to take a few years to get over the losses that they had right. of allocation money, losing a DP spot, all of that to rebuild themselves. Absolutely. And I'm glad, I'm glad you say that from, you know, from a national, a national perspective is sometimes, and look, I enjoyed when I was a little bit more national and I covered the league as a whole, but I, I've more enjoyed as of late, especially being at home, covering just one team more specifically and focusing mm-hmm. on one team because you can hone in on that team, right? When you're when you're covering the league from a more national perspective, you're you know, you're watching one game from this team, like you just said, you can't focus on every game of every team the entire season. You can try, like you and others have, but <laughs> it's it's yeah, but you yeah, but you're gonna fall a little bit short. But look, you you've said it last year. From from your vantage point and from you know what your job entails and Inter Miami games didn't matter and that's the thing that people need to take into context especially when they're listening to this show because we have been very critical including myself I've been very critical of Inter Miami but that's because when the team does that poorly it becomes right. it becomes a, a second thought not only locally for some people that maybe aren't the diehard Miami Total Football Radio listeners but also from from a national perspective and how people are watching the league and how they're consuming the league. So that's why every result matters. And I will always, always, always stress that and look at it in that shape and form. Gus, and go, go let, for it. Let me, let me just add. And, and so when I say sort of some of the losses, I think you have to look at in this league, in any salary cap sport, I think to me basketball is the big one because that's the one that I follow. It's like you, you can't really afford – you don't have extra resources, right? If – if Pep Guardiola makes a mistake with a fullback, he goes out and spends $60 million more the next offseason and gets a different fullback. That's not how MLS works. And so wasting the added allocation money that you got as an expansion team, wasting a high super draft pick that you got as an expansion team, wasting extra international roster spots, a DP spot, all of those things take what we're seeing with FC Cincinnati, take years to sort of rebuild as resources in your club, unless you can get fortunate or you can get lucky. And, you know, you hit on a super draft player like a Daryl DK who becomes a $10 million signing. Those are somewhat rare. And that's why 
every little thing matters right now for Inter Miami because they can't afford to waste any of their resources. Right. That's and that's my saying. It's been my go-to saying. It all matters. It all matters. That is David Goss, ladies and gentlemen. Goss, before I let you go, I will give you a chance to plug the 1,000 different places <laughs> you do work for. And I'm going to ask you, before you do that, to do something we do here on Miami Total Football Radio. It's called Miami Total Football Radio in English, but since we're in South Florida, it's also known as Miami Total Football Radio. So I'm going to ask you to say it in Spanish with the rolling of the R's as best as you can. We've had every guest do it. Goss, go for it, before you, and then you can plug in whatever you want. Miami Total Football Radio. Yay! That's not bad. Um, That's not bad. Not bad at all. Not bad. It could be worse, but it could be better at the same time. I'm working on that as it goes along. (laughs) I'm going to have listeners do a power rankings of all the guests that have done it and see see what they say. Listen, I just want to be mid-table. I just want to be in a playoff race. I don't need (laughs) to be a champion. That's... I'm satisfied with the DC United existence. Um, So you can listen to me every single day on Twitter Spaces live at 11 a.m. Eastern time. I host a show called MLS Today. Or you can listen to it as a podcast if you search Spotify or any of your podcast apps. Just search MLS Today. We literally are on every single day talking about all the stories. We had, for example, Franco on to to dive into Inter-Miami. We will preview CCL. We'll talk the Nashville story this week. We had guests on to talk about Hernan Lozada getting let go, Matias Almeida, the Giassi Zariatres, stuff like that. I'm on Extra Time Radio with MLS on Mondays and Thursdays. And I host a show called A Football Pod with uh, two co-hosts up in Toronto to bring a little bit more of a Canadian point of view. And it's been a pretty good year or two to be Canadian. So it's been fun to sort of coattail off them and pretend that I'm one of them. Goss is a busy, busy man, and he's also a very modest man because he could have plugged in a lot more <laughs> than all that. Just look at his Twitter profile, at Empire Goss, G-A-S-S, and you'll see the number of different media outlets that he does work for. But Goss, thank you so much for the time and the talk. It was very, very informative, and I appreciate it big time because it reminds me of the day, of the days of living in New York and us hanging out, which we need to do very, very soon. I hope they send you back to South Florida in short order. I hope so, too, post-COVID, and now I get an opportunity to potentially cover a good team. So, fingers crossed, Inter-Miami, make it happen for me. (laughs) Well, we're looking forward to it when it does happen. That is David Goss, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to take a quick break. We'll come back and close out the show. We'll do that after this. Okay, guys, Q&A time. Let's try to run through this very quickly because we've gone long on this week's show. Let's start with David Confessor. He says, why does Neville have Marsman punt the ball upfield so much? We lose the ball every time. Campana's a great target, but he doesn't seem to master. He doesn't seem to have mastered the ability to use his body to win those long ball headers. Do you agree? Steve. I mean, well, we, we touched on that earlier, didn't we? Didn't we? That he's, he has been maybe forced into hitting it longer a bit more. I think... Uh, and, and you made the good point before as well that because the centre backs probably aren't as adept at, with their feet as they are as they could be, um, maybe they are sort of not just knocking it knocking it long a bit. But I think uh, you know once the once the game plan continues to sort of settle in and, and make people get confidence on the ball, then they'll do that. But I think if he's not confident in giving the ball to the back four, he's gonna he's always gonna hit it long. 
All right. Unless Jose has anything to add, we'll move on. We can move on. All right. Next question comes from Dos Knows. Any details on the buy option for Campana? I've seen Wolves Media posting about his success. Any possibility of him heading back? Jose. Oh, again, again, this is an overreaction. It's what four games? No, let's wait it out a little bit. I mean, well, of course, you know, it, it all depends on what the contract actually says. I mean, I've heard of contracts before in which if a player scores 10 goals, then you actually have to pick up the options. The option, I'm sorry. So, if that's the case with Campana, then we're just what four goals away, five goals away from from actually you know Inter Miami picking up that option. So it all depends on the contract, but I think we have to wait it out. Let's just wait it out a little bit more. It's a long season in MLS. Let's just wait it out. Okay, I go back to Steve on this one. This one comes from Wario sixty four, our friend Bernie. Neville has acknowledged that although our team has found culture, there is a long way to go as far as quality of possession and play. Can we expect Phil to try and change the current counterattacking mentality into a possession-based team? And if not, should he be in our future? I mean, it's, again, it's all about the it's all about the players. You go, even go to football manager. You try and fit the players into the system, or you create a system and then try and get the players to play like that. I think it's probably better to play to your strengths. I don't think. The, the, the Phil Neville can turn into Miami into Pep Guardiola's Barcelona um, any anytime soon. So you've got to play in your strengths. I think that is being a little bit more direct, physical, um, and you know trying to hit them hit hit on the counter, pr- pressing all that all that kind of stuff. I think that's the way they're going to go. They're never going to be a tiki taka uh, merchant. So I wouldn't have thought. Jose, anything you want to add there? No, I agree one hundred percent. Okay, Daniel K. With the next one, this one goes for Jose. Now that Uyo is back, we'll hear Duke be the go-to number eight substitute. Mota looks his best when he's between the opposition's defense and midfield in possession and looking for the perfect ball into the box. None ever makes, no one ever makes those runs into the 18 for him. Is this because of coaching? Um, I, I don't think I, I understood the question. Can you, can you go at it again? Who is the go-to number eight substitute? Uyoa or Duke? And then there was a second question, I guess, on Mota. So I should have split that up. That's my fault. Okay. Um, well, you know, I think Uyoa brings experience, but I, I I like what Duke brings to the table. And 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 again, I'm I'm thinking from an aggressive standpoint here. Like I I I don't think the the substitution on on uh, over the weekend that brought Noah Allen in was something that I would do per se. So uh, I'm gonna keep it on the same line, and I and I would go for an aggressive player attacking-minded player, or at least a player that can hold on to possession uh, and be creative with it. So I'll go with Duke, but I know he's young. So um, I, I, I think Victor will, will have a role. Um, I don't think we all expected uh, the preseason that Victor had. It was it was, it was rough for him, it, although he, he did play some good games when he was on the field, he was good. Um, but I think Victor is a role player for this team, so he, he'll be ready. He'll be ready when he's needed. But I, I like to see Duke get some more minutes, and I think it, that'll, be, that'll be better for Inter-Miami in the long run as well. And don't forget about Mo Adams. Mo Adams is also in the mix there for that number number eight spot. It just depends on what the game's calling for. I think I think while they're all competing, I guess, right, for that first spot off the off the bench, 
I think, you know, I think it depends on circumstance and what a game calls for. I think, you know, I think Duke has made a very good case for himself, though, because he's he's gotten a goal, uh, and he obviously helped set up the, the game-winning goal against the New England Revolution a few weeks ago with that cross that was spilled by Brad Knight, and, and then Leonardo Campana pushed it home. So I think Duke is definitely more of the attack-minded option, whereas Adams and Uyoa can be the more defensive type of option, so... You know they're all definitely competing. I think Uyo is. Uh, excuse me. I think Duke definitely has made a, a good case for himself. Jose, I will ask you the second one, and we will wrap up the Q and A session after that. Mota looks his best when he's between the opposition's defense and midfield in possession and looking for the perfect ball into the box. No one ever makes those runs into the 18 for him. Is it because of coaching? Uh, I think a little bit of both. A little bit of both. I, I think, you know, uh, I, I'm sure the coaching staff has given Mota confidence to move forward. Um, but I think it's just his quality as a player, right? You know, I, I, I do believe he's he's built for that. Um, I, I am really happy to finally see him playing um, not on the wing like we saw him early on in the season. I think now he uh, has adjusted to the position and, and he knows his teammates better. So I think he's up to a good start. And, and what he's doing right now, I think this is the role that I envision him for the rest of the, of the year. Okay. Well, then that does it for the Q&A session. Let's give our final thoughts and we'll wrap up the show after that, starting with Primo. Uh, thank you. Jam Motta also has the whitest teeth I've ever seen. Whiter. <laughs> Only Tiger Woods when I interviewed him in 2000, 2013, I think, in Carnoustie at the Open. 2006, sorry. Uh, Tiger Woods' teeth were unbelievable. Giamatta's teeth are also fantastic. Um, I'll find the final thought. I think today, you know, we've been getting some great access at the at the training ground. And uh, we're speaking to Darren Powell today, the Inter-Miami 2 uh, coach. Just to people to just keep an eye on. He's, he's, he's from Nottingham. He's a Nottingham Forest fan. Played for their team. And just to show you the, the, you know, the impact of champ promotion and relegation, his team, Nottingham Forest, three points off second place so they can go up to the Premier League and get promoted. They play the second place team in one of their last games. It just, yeah, if only MLS could sort of tap into what they can do there in terms of promotion and relegation, I think that the whole system would be so much better. But anyway, yeah, Nottingham Forest in the Championship. Check it out if you can because that's going to be a crazy couple of uh, couple of games. I think about Darren Powell watching it from behind his sofa probably. Jose, you're up. My final thought is on a recent announcement from Inter Miami in that, and it's an announcement that I am really excited about. Ronaldinho and Roberto Carlos are coming to Fort Lauderdale. Yes, I don't care that they are retired; they're, they are old. Anytime I get to see Ronaldinho live and he's with a ball, I'm happy about it. So I think it's June 18th. It's a celebrity. 18th, yep. Yeah, celebrity match. Uh, um, hopefully we get, I mean, former players and not like celebrity celebrities. So if that's the case, I think it should be a fun atmosphere. So I'm I'm excited about that. A second final thought here. I might not be here next week. Formula One is coming to South Florida and I will be there. So I'm excited about that as well. My final thought is on something that happened this weekend that I wanted to share. I'm glad El Primo's around for it because... I went to my grandma's uh, memorial on Saturday morning afternoon and I saw a lot of family members, some distant ones, some close ones, and one of them gave me a hug and you know gave me the condolences. And then he said, I'm a big fan of the show, which I had no idea 
that my cousin listened to the show. So we talked about it, and he told me, Steve, he's like, El Primo is, in Spanish, El Primo is completely off base with regards to the conversation about the Miami FC game. Inter-Miami played very poorly, and we we went on to talking about that, and we had some good banter. He even said at one point, he's like, he's like, well, I I jokingly said something first, and then he said, yeah, he's like, well, I am the real Primo, so get rid of that Primo, and then I'll come (laughs) on the show, so, (laughs) so, so Steve, you, uh, your seat is, uh, is being targeted my friend it's being targeted no but hey look it, it's great to hear that you know a lot of people are here in the show and obviously we hope you you guys have liked what we've done this year with regards to some of the guests we've brought on whether it's guests from from other markets uh or players and, and members of inter miami opposing coaches in the case of anthony pulis we hope you've enjoyed it we have more things in store and lined up for you in 2022 but that does it for this week's show thank you guys Again, so much for listening and tuning in. If you can, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, formerly known as iTunes. We will be back again next week to recap the game against the New England Revolution and preview all of what's to come for Inter Miami, as well as maybe the stadium vote that may or may not have happened. So for Steve Brenner, for Jose Armando, I am Franco Penizo. This is Miami Total Football Radio. We'll talk to you guys again very soon.